Welcome to the Made to Thrive show. And on this episode... And so eventually under the, well, under the influence of deep dose psychedelic treatment, you have rewiring of your brain taking place. As long as you've primed up the information to output to change perspective in talk therapy, that's why the narrative of life, this in rewires to enduring outcomes under the influence of the psychedelic uh, through that four to six hour hotspot. They say you're doing four to six hour years of therapy in four to six hours of a psychedelic experience, depending on the model of psychedelic. This is a very special show today, and it's all about mental disorders. For many people, anxiety and depression are never-ending diagnoses that seem to have no cure, but rather fall into the story of, one never really cures mental disorders, but you rather manage it with medication for the rest of your life. Big Pharma has greatly benefited from the rising mental ill health epidemic. And yes, you may feel that I'm quite skeptical, that is true, I am. Mainly because after 23 years in practice, I mostly observe that once people start Western medication for mental ill health, most of them are not able to stop it. Is there a role for anti-anxieties and antidepressants? Absolutely. But possibly only in the short term. In other words, acute conditions. That's why today's guest is a courageous healer, a very courageous specialized doctor. Dr. Naeem Muller is a registered independent psychiatrist who practices integrative psychiatry. Explained beautifully by Dr. Naeem, integrative psychiatry views an individual as a whole being consisting of physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, social and environmental aspects. Treatment can help those with a variety of conditions such as mood disorders, anxiety, depression, substance abuse issues, eating disorders, PTSD, OCD, phobias, perimenopause and fibromyalgia. Dr. Muller has the most peaceful soul. It felt like we were kindred spirits dialoguing about how we can collaborate to improve patient lives. I now know that this will be the first of many encounters with him. We go deep into the SA psychedelic renaissance. What does that mean from a South African psychiatrist's point of view? What psychedelics are, the wide spectrum of diagnoses, disorders they address and how their potential is supercharged by intentionally designed psychotherapy. The psychedelic options available today, what could be coming soon and how Dr. Muller has seen how just three deep dose sessions in six months leave patients free of disorders and medication. How nutrition, light diet, movement and lifestyle are crucial to psychiatric care as medication. While patients don't need to hear a diagnosis, they need a solution. My three huge takeaways, there's significant new technologies available to help people with mental disorders. Psychedelics need to be carefully administered by trained professionals. Psychotherapy, counseling and health coaching are needed to support the individual and their family. The sponsor for today's show is the Apollo. This stress-busting device is my go-to daily intervention biohack to calm me down and help me with sleep. It's safe and so easy to use and now available on my website madetothrive.co.za. Go and get it to deal with stress and build your reserve. My Instagram page is really rocking with some quick value hacks, Steve Stab ZA, while LinkedIn is where we share many relevant health and performance articles at Steve Stabs. If you're on Apple or Spotify, please rate and review as this helps enormously to get cool guests on the show. You'll find valuable cutting edge content on my other episodes in my podcast, so go and check it out. Uh, if you please send me your feedback and questions to connect at madetothrive.co.za or to my WhatsApp direct line 064-871-0308. I'm your host, Steve Stavs, Africa's pro biohacker and health futurist, and this is the Made to Thrive show. Hello, Thrive Nation, and I've got a very unique special guest on the show today. I'm really excited to have our first psychiatrist registered in South Africa who's got an international calling, I believe. So welcome to the show, Dr. Nahim Muller. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Brilliant. Now, I sent you this little WhatsApp from the New York Times saying yes. that psychedelics are looking to reshape psychiatry. Before we get your background, which is an amazing story, you know, we've uh, been offline chatting and discussing just what's happening with mental health and, you know, the crisis at the world's end. 
tell us about this little article and uh, just grab the, the, the listener's attention because we've probably got five, ten minutes and then people are going to dial out and, you know, people lose their attention six to ten times every minute. So, of course. Thrive Nation, I've got an incredible doctor, he's got years of experience and he's going to tell us why psychedelics are going to reshape psychiatry. Good. So, so yes, we, we're living through a renaissance at the moment, and it's what's called the renaissance of psychedelics. Starting almost 2003, 2004, it's been playing out behind the scenes. Unless you knew to look there, you wouldn't know the massive shifts in outlook that have been coming. So, yes, this is true. You're right that we are at a point of, of a, a very crucial, what we call cutting-edge psychiatry, if you want to call it that, <laughs> that's going to throughout the whole model of, of DSM and ICD and the way we've structured outlook to psychiatry to change the narrative into nearly one condition really. <laughs> one condition wow. most can, and, and, and one condition that can be appropriately intervened on with one product if approached in a in a supervised way. Yes, that's psychedelics. So you're right, I agree. This article is low to the to the media, it's now coming to mainstream media, where if you sat in, in the journals, medical journals, these articles have been found, finding its way almost weekly into journals. So this is finally catching up with us. Right. So someone's listening out there, they've got mental disorder, they've been diagnosed. I mean, give us the current crisis or, you know, stats that are out there. It's, it's just, you know, what I hear is from 56% increased anxiety over the last two years to 350% increased anxiety. Give us some real raw stats in Africa and beyond. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to commit to numbers and stats per sure. se, but I'm going to talk to the general trend that's been playing out mm. there. So, so even before COVID hit us, we were sitting in a pandemic of mental health. So if you don't know to look at this, our, our developed countries with the cutting edge availability of latest medications, therapeutic, inter have stats that just show prevalence and incidence increasing continuous and of course comes COVID and now you're right to talk into the hundreds of percent increase. The stats around suicide has been unbelievably high unfortunately. It's stabilized somewhat through the lockdown of COVID and it's picking up again. So no, a very poor, poor mental health status to the world and invariably it's driven by what we believe is, is mainstream psychiatry as well which is part of the problem. Mm -hmm. It's actually creating more of the problem the way we're approaching what we call mental health conditions. And really, mental health conditions are falling in such a domain that we're calling nearly everything a mental health condition when some things are just needing guidance out there, some are more complex that should be called a condition later. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's an ongoing narrative that has been set off by the adoption of DSM and ICD in the early 1900s that have just been complicated with more variables of confusion and no efficient outcome to treat in treatment, really. Okay. So truly what we do when you get diagnosed, you've been called either depression, anxiety, or whatever the mainstream diagnosis that you'll be evaluated for, you to meet symptom requirements to meet a diagnosis five out of nine symptoms or so forth, and then the diagnosis of those symptoms must be there for a certain number of time, and we give you a diagnosis, of course an arbitrary diagnosis, sat down and unanimously agreed to by all these grey-haired psychiatrists of last century, and decided, A, we'll call it that, or nay, we'll hold back on the diagnosis. But so that's what is the model of approach right now. We give you a diagnosis, then we turn to our formulary and we give you a medication approach based on mm. the diagnosis, and we turn to our other formulary on therapeutic interventions, and we choose our either cognitive behavior, dialectical behavior, psychoanalytical, psychodynamic, and give you an intervention from that, and there we go, you're now treated, <laughs> which really doesn't equate to now you're treated. And in mm. most cases, the formularies don't add to, to adjust experience of symptoms adequately by containing the symptoms. They've been strung together by a lot of randomized control trials done under university situations and driven by by the pharma industry so what you extrapolate from these trials are questionable and how you utilize them in, in pragmatic functioning practice in, in the real world doesn't always equate to an outcome that they gave you in trial settings. And no one really treats for six weeks and then calls it depression cured or remitted, really, the pathway is still going on. So logically, there's a fall short in outcomes and there's a fall short in interventions, but we sit in our, our proud seats to say, but we're doing well by our intentions, so be good. But yeah. we're not, honestly. We actually we're hurting ourselves to believe we're making a massive difference. We may contain the acute situations of anxiety, of suicidality, of psychosis, and contain them in symptom experience to being numb intern internally, but not necessarily unpacking a core that was driving the distortion of experience mm -hmm. in the first place. And so are we really helping people or are we just containing them in their dysfunction? Sure. Sorry, wow. that was a mouthful. 
Lots to unpack there because it just seems that a lot of people out there are getting these medications. Some of them are really helpful, like you said, in the acute stage, but long-term transformations not really happening. Hmm. Some of the stats of the other guests on the show said 50% of corporate South African north of Baraguanath on antidepressants. Hmm. Long-term, it doesn't seem that actually it's solving the issue, mm-hmm. containing possibly and helping people in the acute. Hmm. But let's talk about you know an integrative psychiatrist before we get into what a psychedelic is because you've you know you've got a nice website you're an integrative psychiatrist and that, those are huge words people mm. might not understand what that actually means you know it mm. might seem esoteric to some people listening out there and I just know that every single person that I've come into contact either has a psychiatric condition or mental ill health or knows someone there's just it just there is no one that doesn't struggle within their family or friends or personally with anxiety or depression or any of these conditions, apathy, lack of motivation, just tiredness, exceptional fatigue. So it's, this is prevalent, you know, and, and I said to you when we first met, I think this is the greatest area of shortcoming in medicine, I you know, be. from a diagnosis perspective, from scans, you know, we spoke about, you know, things where we can start analyzing, you know, your EEGs and possibly like things like uh, SPECT scans and so let's talk about what an integrative psychiatrist is. <laughs> put very simply and that's the best way to put it is a holistic psychiatrist. Mm. Someone that takes into consideration the whole individual, the whole mm. aspect when I say whole individual, their physiology, their environment, their their drives, their motivations, their their their, their childhood variables, their, their exposure of belief values and, 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 and uh, systems that they live in confines of their mind, they structure this, they look into variables of how ego was constructed in their nurture and, and then reviewing this to to a, a version that suits them better. Mm. So from, from, from if we, we have to break down first what is, what in my understanding, the core to all of psychiatry is, is a distortion of your survival state, your, your, your physiology. We have two basic physiologies. We've got rest and restoration, restoration and growth and fight and flight physiology. Mm. And within a fight and flight physiology, we have an inundated release of, of, of adrenaline and cortisol as your hormones from your adrenal mm. gland. Of course, these hormones release for various functions in our body, but under this wiring of survival state and how the, the wiring comes about, it fires more abundantly, creating imbalance of primarily your dopamine physiology and with a knock-on to serotonin physiology as the chemical imbalance created it that we all talk about in, in depression and anxiety. And with this being protractedly running through open-endedly this this functional imbalances start creating energy releases in our body that gives us the symptoms that we call psychiatric symptoms whether it's the tightness of chest surges through your neuromuscular junction of dopamine or the palpitation and flush state of dopamine through your cardiovascular circuitry or the restlessness that comes from dopamine imbalancing in your cerebellar circuitry or or that background buzz in your mind from your the limbic circuitry, dopamine surging everywhere and excessive dopamine in the prefrontal give you imbalances there to impacting focus, attention, concentration and all executive functioning. So distorting there and dysregulating sleep process because activation of dopamine in the prefrontal robs you of re- switching off at night, the prefrontal is woken up by dopamine and residually have non-restorative sleep processes then walking up into another cycle of dysfunction of the prefrontal letting down its regulatory to the rest and dopamine then surging to give more dysfunctions of rumination, impulsivity, obsessive thinking, paranoid thinking, anxious thinking, all symptoms of psychiety coming through this process. Okay. And invariably, if you watch the role of antipsychotics since the introduction and their utilization over the periods of time, they suddenly are starting off with antipsychotics. They suddenly mood stabilizers. They are also impulse control agents. They are anti-aggressive agents. They're, they're rest, anti-restlessness. They suddenly every symptom somehow can be manipulated in every other condition with a low dose of an antipsychotic. Then what are we talking about? Different conditions? We're talking about one condition that presents in different ways in different ways driven by the dopamine underlying surge. Okay. So if the primary physiology in integrative psychology, a psychiatry is to ground your dopamine physiology. De- dopamine detox is how I talk it through with my clientele. Mm. And to detox dopamine, we look at nutrition, we look at hydration, we look at stimulation with lights, we look at sleep, we look mm. at all these variable core requirements of the body for it to function healthily. Yeah. 
And that's what integrative psychiatry comes at. At the same time, taking out the narrative, what sits in the patient's mind in life story, and revisiting that narrative in, in the most psychological or logic way to add a, a more of a flow to the dot joining and making sense of their life in a way that they grow from it, learning the lessons of their life, rather than weighing themselves down with judgments or frustrations, rejection, and inadequacy, or any of the negative spectrum of thinking that comes out when you don't know how to process something. And okay, so you're a genius, you, you, you're speaking at the speed of a rate, and that's because I think you just filled us all this knowledge, but the person out there, we need to try and just distill this. The, sure. dis the distillation is this, there's an imbalance with dopamine, yes. serotonin, hmm. dopamine is the dopaminergic, I think there's a book called Dopaminergic Nation, yeah. yes. Dopaminergic Nation, that everybody's become so dopamine dependent yes and so they need the continual dopamine so normal anti-psychiatric medication uh, that has is try to ground dopamine not necessarily but more balance it or yeah well if you utilize it appropriately most conditions in psychiatry are not approached with a dopamine blocking agents or modulate except mm -hmm. psychosis primarily yes. most are approached with serotonin enhancing Yes. SSRIs. SSRIs, which essentially are numbing agents, not regulation of dopamine agents. Okay. And, and the, the latter introduction is the dopamine agent antagonist, which is now working with formularies in psychiatry. It, you don't come to this first, you come to this third or fourth in line. Okay. You come to this SSRIs first, which manipulates serotonin, which don't necessarily bring people to the desired outcomes. You feel a bit more it is in your experience of self, numb to your generation of distortion from dopamine, but not necessarily stopping what dopamine is doing in the background, so you're okay. just numbing the experience. Alright, so as an integrative psychiatrist, we're talking about dopamine, we're talking about serotonin, we might be talking a bit about oxytocin, of course. these things that are very, very important, these chemicals of the brain, transmitters of the, of the nervous system. What techniques, you've spoken about nutrition. Yes. Uh, what else do you use? Obviously, you're using some psychologists that you're referring to or sort of, you know, CBT. So or I, I, I do occasionally use for more complex cases uh, assistance through psychology, okay. psychotherapy. But in most cases, I take on the therapeutic approach myself. Yeah. My sessions on average are now sessions because I structure the process to come to therapy and then I structure the therapeutic okay. unpacking. Otherwise, we're putting too many cooks in to, to, to okay. do this job. Yes. Okay. So you're using, sometimes you're using psychotherapy. All the you, time. You're looking at yourself personally, sometimes you'll outsource for complex. You're looking at nutrition, you're looking at movement, breath work, sleep, you're looking at holistic. And, I, and I've said this on the Mate to Thrive show that if your doctor doesn't talk about your nutrition or your sleep or your movement, then with respect, you, you need to find another doctor. Guaranteed. Okay. Because otherwise, we're just selling you a med and not selling you a change of lifestyle. Yeah. Good. Lifestyle brought you to that point. Lifestyle is going to take you away from that point with the aid of meds now and then just to ease symptoms while you're getting away from it. And then are you using functional medicine tests? Are you looking at blood tests? Are you looking at serotonin being important? Do you do organic acids tests and look at neurotransmitters? Are you, I'm are you doing minimally anything? involved laboratory work on it unless I've got a lot of red flags on an individual that I would send off more lab work. Okay. In most cases, not a lot of the time they come with GP workups, so I don't need to actually okay. chase down anything. Okay, EEGs or SPECT or where we're sitting from, a heart rate variability, we spoke about this, yes, how important HRV is and it's becoming more personalized of and course. I said bespoke medicine is people that can actually measure their heart rate variability which is the difference from the sympathetic nervous system which is that fight, flight or freeze to the parasympathetic which is the rest, digest, relax, get a number that can do breath work or meditation or any of these things, arts, crafts, storytelling. Uh, holding one another, you know, the release of oxytocin and spending time having coffee with friends releases that oxytocin, hugging, so, and that's going to affect your heart rate variability. So tell us a bit about the diagnostic tests that someone can think about or might embrace coming to an integrated psychiatrist. So, so this is the fun of where we are. Honestly, we don't need to do tests. It is the history that gives us our diagnosis okay. and the, 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 the storyline, the, the protracted experience of symptoms and that a lot of the time it's not about a diagnosis but an explanation of the physiology okay. a diagnosis is to report to the medical aid a diagnosis is a report to other people yes. it's not what the patient needs here they need to understand what is my solution 
and that's what we guide them to. Rather than weigh them down with jargon, diagnosis okay. is jargon, then they get confused. And if you never explain how you got to that jargon, <laughs> then they walk around away with the boogeyman in their mind that mm. they now live to live with. Mm. My depression made me do this, my bipolar made me do that. Yeah. But rubbish, that never does that. Okay. It's, it's, it's just how we string together symptoms to give you a diagnosis. So we'd rather not share that with the patient. I talk to the physiological processes. I talk to how they can adjust for a reaction coming out to how to bring about a Because at the end of the day, through a journey of integration, integrative psychiatry, there's no diagnosis at the end. Mm. So why don't we place the diagnosis when you start? When we're yeah, going to tell you, good. within three to six months, you're going to have nothing over your head. Why do we need to talk this? Let's just talk about how we're going to get there. Yeah, it's Focus a journey. On the journey. Thank it's you. It's a journey, not yeah. the identify my identity is based in a diagnosis. I am a depressive or I yes. am an anxious person. Beautiful. Okay. That essentially is why I say psychiatry became part of the problem because of the way we then dish out diagnosis, then a person lives their diagnosis and doesn't learn to walk away from their diagnosis. And then we're locking them in and then we create what we complain about, the revolving door phenomena of psychiatry. Okay. They will always Good. come back. So then you're taking the patients through this. What interventions do you, are you using? You know, let's not get into specifics of, you know, the psychedelics yet because I want you to define no, what a course. psychedelic of is. Of course. But let's talk about just general sort of treatment someone would receive at an integrative So, psychiatry. Of course. I, I start off with first trying to ground their physiology. I take, uh, guide them into the type of products that they need to step back from. And that would include sugary drinks, pre-workouts, post-workouts, slimming products, caffeine charged products, anything that's going to release your dopamine in the background. Yeah, well done. That's right. incredible. So yeah. we've got to talk about liquids. I talk them towards water. I talk them into relaxing teas like chamomile, rooibos, apple juice, neutralizer, not an acidifier of the body. Mm. And then on top of that, I also talk to quantity limitation because we tend to overhydrate and dilute our physiology. It's important to hydrate, but it's not good to overhydrate. Yeah. We're chasing three liters when we're chasing one and a half to 1.8, not even an amount, follow your saliva. The thickening mm. saliva tells you you're thirsty. Then you drink, right? Okay. Don't drink because it's around you. Then we talk into nutrition, realizing that dopamine is a byproduct of an adrenaline surge in the background, and adrenaline surges for a lot of other physiological processes. You don't want to walk away from three big meals. You want to bring in four to six smaller nutrient intakes and spread across your day to two to four or three hourly, and that's how I'd like meals to be addressed and not to be diluted with excessive drinking of liquids with the meals. Drink before your meals, drink after your meals, and guide to a rational meal. Stepping away from more animal products because more animal animal protein is the most complex type protein requiring that much more gut mixing with uh, movement and adrenaline gives you the movement that's required in the guts with the gastric juices to cut away from that or if you're going to do your animal protein to do it more midday and not take it to bed with you at night where the restlessness is going to disturb sure. your physiology then we talk to light exposure of course you're going to have this discussion previously mm -hmm. with the, the the frequencies of of the, your, your blue light and your green light which stimulate dopamine to the prefrontal leaving it more activated than battling with sleep process so we talk to being hygiene sleep hygiene and light exposure wind down techniques mindful mindfulness mindful is a big buzzword it's all about being in the moment of where you are mm. and we'll talk to those behaviors having a wind down routine for about an hour and a half before your head is on pillow putting your head on pillow and allowing about 15 minutes to go to sleep and winding with certain techniques to get you there, not lazing in bed if you're not sleeping, and very, very much sleep hygiene around that. Okay. Then we, we're talking to move your body, where there's the guidance of 10,000 steps out there. We want to at least meet our 10,000 steps, but build up to it and not expect to just reach it or spread it out through the day. Because when you want energy, it comes from oxygen, really, mm. not from caffeine, it's from oxygen, nutrition, hydration, and good rest. Mm. So move your body and you get more energy. Yet we sit down and say we don't have the energy to go do something, yeah. yet that doing something would give us the energy to come back and do more. So we cut ourselves in a trap of lies. We lie to ourselves, we can't do it, and then we don't do it, and it gets harder to break that procrastination cycle. So then we talk to move the body, we talk to mindfulness behavior, meditation, to ground oneself, so that you're able to turn where your mind goes to hold yourself and not engage thoughts, not engage sensations, and do that for five to eight minutes at a time to train yourself just to be in an idle mind state. The mind is trying to stop it from ruminating and attaching itself to thought process, which is what we do with dopamine antagonists to slow it down. But training it not to just run to that behavior is what we can do. Neuroplasticity mm. is what we're talking about. So modern society trains us to come to master the world's knowledge. doesn't allow us to train and master our mind and body first, then master yes. the world. What we're trying to do with this integrative approach is take you to master your mind and master how you use your space of mind, how you hold on to information, give you coping techniques of 
we talk about journaling, but you learn to take from journaling to then putting things into diary, to reminders coming up, to trigger things in your diary, carrying journaling to then be thinking on paper, to catch yourself out for cognitive distortions or dissonance, which tend to be incorporated into our thinking patterns. Remember, thinking is not something that was taught to us, it's something we stumble upon in our lives, mm. and, and then we just then believe our thinking is gospel and then we go work with the echo chamber and build on our stupid thinking sometimes <laughs> and then we lead ourselves into very traps of our mind and, and ultimately you want to use the techniques of CBT looking at cognitive distortion that's where the journaling comes in and you restructure thinking on paper and self-correct rather being gentle with your thinking or judging your th thoughts always accept and embrace your thinking for what it is to guide it to another mm -hmm. this whole journey of self-improvement is an embracing journey you can't fight yourself to get to the next level you've got to love yourself to Example. Did you say you're a psychiatrist? Yes. <laughs> Why is that not standing out to this? <laughs> it's just amazing. It's just wonderful to hear someone speak like this about lifestyle and how it improves your health, your wellness, your mental health, how important these things are. Because it's not the narrative out there from no. psychiatrists. It's Let's not be the fair. narrative. Uh, mainstream is, is mainstream because of what we are trained like in university. And so I don't blame myself or my colleagues for the way we came running into mm. our world of our profession. But after doing it for a while a certain way, you should be able to step back and, and say, no, something's not right here. Mm. That's the only difference that's going on. Well, let's talk about your history then, your backstory, because I think that's important for people to realize how you, you got this. Before we start talking about psychedelics, let's talk about how you be able to step back and be so courageous and say, mm. I don't think these patients are being transformed. Well, it's called being true to yourself now, isn't it? That's what this is about. You do have your own checks and balance because at the end of the day, we're living your skin. You're living your skin to feel good about yourself by your choices, by what you do for a living. And so I did tell myself I'm going to step, step out there into my life and be the best version of what I choose to be in life. And I don't think I'm being true to that best version yet mm. in the way I was doing it three to five years ago, which is where I was getting frustrated with that revolving door phenomenon. The same patient next year, they're back, or somehow later down the line. Not everyone, others did get better. But more often than not, you meet your clientele. And the, the, the joke in psychiatry is you'll never be poor as a psychiatrist. Of course, there's a revolving door out there, which yeah. is not fair to the patient, though, but it's a private joke among psychiatrists. But the logic is that's what frustrated me. I mean, if we are meant to be doing something that was meant to be helping why do we sell ourselves by all these latest protocols and as being knowing what we're doing when the numbers are not saying that outcome mm -hmm. to us so no I'm just one which sat in it and contemplated about I'm not saying others are not doing this but I wasn't happy with myself and that's why I started delving into researching alternates that I could do to enhance the outcome of my patients or change the variables of outcome at one stage I went to an angry stage, I just rejected meds and I wanted to take everyone off meds and put them all on supplements and everything otherwise, which was not rational, it wasn't reasonable, it was an all or nothing kind of response yeah. to the moment. But then I've moderated and I've, I've utilized meds wisely, bring in a lot more supplements and do this and, and, and this is trying to help me feel better about me, to make yes. them better about them. The journey more towards integrative work came after the loss of my dad in 2017 and I was faced with my own existential crisis. What was this all about in the first place? Why did I become a doctor? My dad's gone now. He wasn't here to say well done to me anymore. And mm -hmm. there and that. So it set me off thinking about what was this journey of life about in the first place on my own and then the journey of psychiatry and how better then could I apply my mind to all these variables, which, which is what brought me to where I am here. Sure. And, and, and let's be fair, I'm not your typical doctor. I didn't come through the mainstream straight A part and straight into med school and straight into my yeah. speciality. I was one that took the very scenic part. I went to engineering first, got kicked out of engineering. <laughs> Well, not applying my mind, not because the engineering is tough now, when, and then was adopted by a small department at that university called a Bachelor of Medical Science, which then took me through a very scenic path to medicine, and then from medicine to psychiatry, and then eventually. So I've, I've had exposure to seeing things from different perspectives. I've also have had my own, own uh, novelty-seeking lifestyle that have taken me to different experiences of my mind, and so I can talk from, from that, and maybe that's what loosened indoctrination of my mind, to be very blinkered in how to see things yes. and gave me the ability to look at it laterally a bit. Wrong or right, that's what happened. <laughs>
Yeah, also a bit of nature, a bit of nurture and some courage. And some courage and some aspects of the nurture environment that I had to make sense of for myself, which then, if it was like that for me, then extrapolating from me and projecting to another's life, there would be variables of this in their life, and that's how I started creating the story of how I come at the narrative of life, trying to string it together, looking at generational impact from, from two to three generations. I asked people on research and come tell me about the great-grandparents and the grandparents and the parents, then to talk about their life. Then I show them influences that were flowing to come generations to them that you can't blame, you can't blame because yeah. they didn't know they were doing exactly. this, they were just projected forward. So we take away this victim mentality very fast in therapy and just start giving lessons, wisdom yeah. lessons. And, and then it transfers so easy, it's an EQ transfer really that takes place. We're having conversations of life. Yeah. Not, I'm telling you about your meds and how to sleep all the time, no, it, it's more life conversation. That's why I prefer the model of psychiatry I'm doing right now. I have better relationship with the people that come to me. I um, really like they like friends to each other because we're actually part of each other's share. I share perspective from my life into their life. They're willing to hear it and then we talk. In. So it's, it's, a, it's a sharing process. I learn from my clients. Less from textbooks, more from people. Sounds incredible and just want to salute you because I think we need pioneers like yourself and you know really committed to transforming people's lives and like I said mental ill health it does need to be reshaped and I think it is moving towards that so many of the Mate to Thrive tribe might have heard of magic mushrooms or you know MDMA or they've heard of Avogane or they've done low dose LSD and you know it's out there and there's controversy should it be regulated shouldn't be regulated in certain parts ayahuasca ceremonies are becoming very very popular you know we're looking at marijuana and CBT and all these things you know that hmm. are out there and I think the person out there might be confused in terms of how what and when and that's why I do think People like yourselves that are holistic, that are integrated, that are saying there are many different ways. You know, we discussed there's no silver bullet. <laughs> and in fact, you know, we said, mate, to try, you know, Hippocrates said, this thing that I stand by is that the greatest medicine of all, above anything else, mm. is to teach people how not to need it. Mm. And isn't it so powerful that that word doctor, doctor in the Latin is teacher. Mm. And so, you know, I think that's what you're doing. You're teaching people, making these sort of connections from the previous sort of generations and that holistic and integrated look I think is going to be the way of the future but tell us about psychedelics because I'm excited you know there's many I've been in practice 23 years and I've treated a lot of patients with anxiety you know symptoms hmm. and depression and real struggles with mental ill health and some have been successful I think through journeys and using other health professionals and others haven't and, some people are just really, really struggling and misunderstood and feel very lonely. But this is exciting me. So give us a sort of a stratosphere view of what a psychedelic is and the way you see the future with regards to psychedelics, medicine, and the possible regulation of this in South Africa. Okay, so psychedelics are a group of substances that create uh, an experience that is described as mind-expanding, mind-liberating, or profound, or spiritual, and, and how they do this is quite intriguing, really. So this group includes things like ayahuasca, you mentioned LSD, psilocybin, magic mushrooms, uh, iboga, San Pedro, peyote, uh, and, 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 and then there are DMT and 5-emeo DMT, and there's other versions out there as well. And there's research going into so many synthetics at the moment, so it's quite fascinating. How does this class work? They work primarily, primarily in the other mechanisms of function. It's through a serotonin, the chemical serotonin mm -hmm. 2A receptor. This receptor is found over the most of, of our cortex, the gray matters on, and in the deeper gray matter structures. This receptor, serotonin 2A receptor, they, when, when psilocybin activates it, or, or the psychedelics activate it, they bring on an agonistic effect of this receptor, in, in, in inducing more of the serotonin effect downstream. And by doing this, they, they bring about changes in the brain. And this, these are the, it's the, there's an area of the brain, well, areas of the brain grouped together called the dorsal mode network, DMN. This, this area of the brain helps regulate the idle mind. You can sit in your creative idle mind or worry mind, whichever way you use it, or switch you to conscientious mind on the other side, driving into deliberate behavior. So this area is manipulated by psychedelics to switch you primarily, if, 
into an idle mind and force your prefrontal cortex offline. Your prefrontal cortex is your conscious powerhouse. You wake up in the morning, this wakes up, goes to sleep at night, this goes to sleep. So all awareness plays out today, all cognitive effects come out from there. So this is the control mechanism of the rest of the brain and the rest of the body. All primary directives are given out of there. And it is also where your ego defenses sit in, your e physiological ego defense mechanisms is it, it stops synaptic connection to areas of your brain that carry emotional memories of things you didn't know what to do with, or challenge your sense of self or made you feel unworthy. So you block off memories through experience. And this is guarded by the prefrontal. Under the influence of psychedelic, you force your dorsal mode network into idle brain function, pulling your prefrontal offline and bringing synchronicity through to arrest the brain by serotonin surges and changes in frequency of brain brain, you would have firing almost sharing across platforms and therefore wiring together that the brain can share information across platforms. At the same time as this, these psychedelic products enhance the release of serotonin, that's the, mm -hmm. and brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Brain-derived neurotrophic factor and serotonin, when working together, are modulatory chemicals for the brain, enhancing brain neuroplasticity, growth, and connectivity, synaptogenesis, neurogenesis, nerves talking to each other, going to talk to other neurons further away. That happens real time under the influence of this chemical. <coughs> so what you're creating is almost a, a, a REM state, because in REM sleep, we consolidate memory. Neurons are connecting, we consolidate memory. We're creating a wakeful <coughs> version of REM sleep. Wakeful, because in REM you also dream. You go into deep dream state, and what happens under psychedelic, we say we're creating <coughs> a wakeful dream state. Yes. So you're creating the control offline and going into your limbic part of your brain, experiential brain, and you're going to perspective of experience. And while you're going into there, the brain is now functioning on what we call a free energy principle. You heard about this? No. So the free energy principle, <coughs> under the right conditions, the brain will fight to release more energy utilization to have more efficient pathways of how to connect from one neuron to the other, freeing up energy. Because the utilization of energy is quite low generally in the brain. It's 20% of body energy production. It tries to maintain it. So as a processing unit, we have nothing in, in modern man's creation that can relate to what it does start in processing power, but for such little utilization of yeah. energy. So it's always freeing up energy with the free energy principle. So under the psychedelic effect, you have loosening up on a hot zone created where synaptic connections can review to more appropriate connections and that's where information is transferring. Now these neurons are firing together, they're wiring together, they're sharing, I've got info on this, you come to me and I'll take you to a better outlook to this. Rather than you go and second guess yourself there, go and triple check you there, then mm. come here and doubt yourself on top of that and still have to come make your decision again, yes. a distorted pattern of thinking. Efficient pattern will take you from there to there and down there. And so eventually under the, influ well, under the influence of deep dose psychedelic treatment, you have rewiring of your brain taking place as long as you primed up the information to outlook to change perspective in talk therapy that's why the narrative of life this in rewires to enduring outcomes under the influence of the psychedelic uh, through that four to six hour hotspot they say you're doing four to six hour years of therapy in four to six hours of a psychedelic experience depending on the model of psychedelic most work out there is happening on psilocybin so it's four to six hours they talk about and when you wake up from that that is the enduring way you'll see whatever it is you have to rewire that's the profound way psychedelics work. To that extent, ketamine, the so-called pseudo-psychedelic, which is a dissociative anesthetic agent, is functioning very similar to that psychedelic functioning. It brings about dissociative experiences, the dissociative anesthetic. So just before it puts you to sleep, it puts you in a zone of dissociation, and then you go to sleep. But we, in ketamine infusion, we keep them in that zone of dissociation. That means your prefrontal is pulled offline, you dissociate into your limbic cortex. And again, it has impact to BDNF, and, and that enhances neuro plasticity and overcoming thought blocks or creating new pathways of thinking so you're not locked in into a process that you would be in your mind. So that's how psychedelics work. But they're not a magic silver bullet approach. So you just don't take people and put them in a room and give them a psychedelic because you've heard of people having bad trips. You've heard about knock-on experiences to psychedelics of dissociative re-experiencing and things like that that can go wrong. And so the requirements is structured psychotherapy build-up preparation or priming process, which can take months, 
people are getting, depending mm -hmm. on the complexity of the individual, then going through experience, which is they call the journey, the medical journey. You sit in spaces out, two therapists will hold space with you. That's the model going on in John Hopkins and Imperial College of Medicine. And the individual is masked in, in eye masks and closed, enclosed in the ear, head over earphones and is enclosed into their whole experience on their own in their mind. And only if they need support psychologically or physiologically are they engaged. Otherwise, the work is happening in their mind. And, and thereafter, after the journey, medical journey, on the other side of that, a very structured integration process because we can come up with so many paradigms of experience from your mind, not necessarily fitting into a reality model because when we dream, nothing follows the model of reality in dreams. So when you go into your mind, it comes out in a very distorted experience state with all of these sensations and you taste the music and you feel the sound. That's the synchronicity and sharing of information and firing on the same frequency. That's why all these distortions of a sensory experience but, but ultimately, it is wiring in the background, in the, and, and that's what you work out with enduring in the front. So ketamine does a similar model, but it has short zones. They use it for 40 minutes, and they build it up every three to four days. You come back to a second infusion, third infusion. A course of six is usually how they sell it. And, and then you review through integration whether the desired outcome was achieved and whether there's still baseline symptoms or any variables of distortion in processing and you create new structured priming around that and potentially of going in within three to six months again to the next deep experience and followed by another deep experience if it is still required for the third. They say usually within three experiences you're able to break any pre-existing psychopathology and walk free of medication from the studies that are coming out of these different institutes. Imperial College, John Hopkins, working in conditions of anorexia, OCD, PTSD, you name it, of course, depression, anxiety. The, the outcomes have been fascinating. Even so, psychosomatic conditions like cluster headaches, fibromyalgia, irritable bowel are responding to this chronic body pains in the back aches and things like that are responding to these conditions. So people go for chronic pain modulation through ketamine infusion or alternate uh, microdosing processes which are not yet legal and that's why we don't talk too much into that space. But you can microdose nearly every psychedelic out there under the sun to have some subtle background benefit without going into a full sensorium experience, so subsensorium levels of, of, of activation. You still have activation of BDNF and serotonin and ne neuromodulation taking place, lateral thinking, opening up creativity, opening up with microdoses. They're even using these microdose approaches in, in autistic individuals, in individuals with dementia, where you've not got any benefits of mainstream meds, and these meds have failed on microdosing psilocybin. They found that they were able to bring spark back into us, words of communication, not necessarily full-on regulation of brain function, but more, more presence than what you would have with none of these interventions. So the outcomes have been fascinating. The data has been accumulating over this 18 years, 15 to 18 years already, but we, we have uh, authorities dragging their feet, as you okay. can see. So in South Africa. So mm. basically, from what I understand, neuroplasticity, the, the, the body's ability or the brain's ability to change, neurogenesis to form neural networks and neural firing and, and nerves that fire together, wired together. So you start building sort of new ways the brain's connecting mm. with different parts of the brain. And then are you changing, when you're saying transformation, the self-talk and the self-belief that a person had regarding certain uh, senses, in the, whether it's taste, whether it's smell, whether it's the way they saw the world, where, whatever it is, you're changing their perspective on that by changing sort of the neural pathways yes. and building neural pathways in that process? Yep. That's exactly what we're saying. And, and the, the truth of the matter is some of the changes you want to know what changed. Because thinking according to psychological perspective and, and, and the research out there is approximately six layers deep. One layer sits in conscious awareness where it's, it's not a multitasking layer, it's just one layer of thinking that sets ships rapidly, rapidly in the prefrontal cortex. The remainder of five layers sit in your limbic cortex and you won't know what's going on in there, it's below your awareness level. And it plays out in, in process work, then it's fed to you in your awareness mechanism through body talk. What is body talk? Your gut feel, the, your hair on the back of your neck, your hunch, your intuition, your emotion. And emotion is the conscious way of communicating conscious mind from the subconscious for every variable of thinking it is worked through to give you your hunch or otherwise variables. So yes, the subconscious mind is the true multitasking part of your brain and that's the one that throws out answers that we wake up and there's that bright idea on the top of your head that played out through your subconscious and yes. pushed to the conscious. That's where this work is getting. So that's your supercomputer really, the subconscious mind. So that's exciting and that's happening over, you, uh, you're talking about ketamines 
They're legal in South Africa. That's legal. Yes. Ibogaine is uh, is the the legal psychedelic has been with us for almost 20 years. It's okay. been used in the space of opioid recovery and and cat cocaine, crystal meth, mm -hmm. alcohol, hardcore addictions. There's, it's it's found benefit. We could not explain it from previous models or understanding the molecule. Now everything just makes sense in the way other psychedelics are working in the space as well. Psilocybin has been used as like ibogaine has for addiction. Yeah, so from cigarettes to alcohol to harder core addictions and you're breaking cycles of addiction with this as well. So these products are treating your eating disorders, your addictive disorders, your somatic disorders, your anxiety disorders and your mood disorders and they're work going on in psychotic and bipolar patients as well in the background. Sure. So not your mainstream of run forward to this patient population, they need more structure, more support, more uh, more environmental management than, than you do with other patients, So, because there's risk of things going wrong there. But there's still things going right there too, even in those conditions. So, like I say, nearly every condition in psychiatry has been tried out in this, in the, with this product, mm. treated with this product. So someone's listening now, they want to try a new way, integrate a psychiatrist, currently in South Africa now, so you're using ketamines, you're seeing this transformation, you're seeing new synaptic sort of connections, you're seeing this neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, people from a subconscious mind, from that limbic side, changing. Obviously, you're saying pre-work, you're working at you know, developing the person from a different belief system or perspective. They're working either with a psychologist or with yourself to change the perspective, doing that pre-groundwork to make sure when they start that process, there is things to work with, and then afterwards there's post-workout in terms of the subconscious mind. Is that the journey here in South Africa? Yes, currently that is the psychedelic available journey in South Africa. And used appropriately, usually within a six-month period, you can walk people away with, from medication with this journey, D depending on the complexity of meds that they come forward with. Often, if they've been medication naive, you definitely get them away from you within the six-month period, not okay. requiring to be on meds beyond that, seeing you beyond that point. Wow. So psychiatry has a turnaround time, not a revolving door. Okay. So, and is this sustained transformation? Have you seen patients over like years, you see them like three years later, they haven't gone back to any of the psychiatric medication, they haven't gone back to any of those symptoms, they're living sort of transformed lives? Is that I'm talking from living proof, yes. Yeah. This, this is happening, that's why I say there's a turnaround time, not a revolving door anymore. Turnaround. That's the way I talk it, I, I set the standard of what they have to, what they need to achieve within which time. They believe it, they walk it and we can. Okay. So I changed the whole narrative already. I didn't say you can't leave your med, this is a current condition, you, and that was the narrative that you could have been fed through the mainstream. And then what it becomes, the truth to how you see it. Yes. So I changed the truth, and whatever truth I give, which is fair, and I'm not doing a wrong truth, but they walk into the new truth. Okay. But they walk into the new truth because in that process of having the psychedelic, there's some rewiring that's happening. Of you've course. told them that narrative before, you've worked on that narrative, they might have journaled that, they might have worked with a therapist or a health coach. Then through that process, the subconscious mind is changing, of course. getting all the changes, and then you cement it afterwards. With and then the even six one. months later, they might, if an event happens, they might have to cement it again. Potentially, it's a trigger. but it won't take you right back to to ground zero, you're starting from a different baseline. Okay. And remember, the success of this is not just the success of the psychedelic, it's the holistic model of change your lifestyle. If you don't address everything, don't expect the silver bullet outcome. That's okay. the logic here. So no, it's not just the pre-work and things, it's the whole lifestyle. I'll always take you back to what you're not doing yet. Uh, that's how I take the patient. Yeah, 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 we're not there. Let me hear what you're doing here, let me hear what you and call them to order to where they're letting themselves down. Okay. We, we, we have a tendency to lie to ourselves. Sure. And that's why when you sit in front of your therapist, this is your mirror, this is your psalm. You're going to talk to yourself here. Yeah. I'm going to call you out because I what I hear of what you said to yes. you, about what you did for you. Okay, so South Africa now, we're looking at ketamine and ibogaine that's being used. Mm. People at parties, friends, cousins, mm. families, some of my patients taking magic mushrooms or psilocybin. Mm. Tell us your view, Doc, whether it should be regulated eventually. It's not regulated here in South Africa from a medical perspective. People are using it. Is it dangerous? You know, I had a chat with one of my good mates and I said to him, listen, you know what, if this is not in a controlled environment with people that love you, in a sort of an ordered environment, there could be problems. What is your view on the regulation? So, so people really <coughs> don't know these products because of what the taboo that was created in the 1960s, 70s, when, when there was a recreational deviation of, of LSD at that stage, the hippie generation, make love and peace, not war, burning down and rioting <laughs> against the government's war in Vietnam, and then the 
the taboo was created and the boogeyman around the psychedelic was created. And since then, all the extra words and people jumping off buildings and holes in their brains and all those sort of stories were that people are scared of this product. They don't know how to even come to this product or utilize these products. So no, it should be educated and regulated. Okay. But are they dangerous? Really in the right hand, in the right environment, absolutely not. If you go and look at the research on this and look at the a, a toxic dose, a, a lethal dose of magic mushrooms is 28 kilograms. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get that on you? <laughs> no, not likely, right? Yeah. So it's very hard to overdose on these products. And any related deaths that these products were found in the system of an individual, there were multiple other products, okay. multiple drug partying, so yeah. to speak. And you cannot allocate uh, that the debt was related primarily to psilocybin. We don't know the mechanism. So there's no really direct accounted deaths to psilocybin either. And for that matter to LSD and other psychedelics. Though inadvertent accidental deaths of doing stupid things with your body in an uncontrolled environment, that's why I say in a supervised space, it is a safe product with people who know what they're doing with it. And there are people who are not in the medical field that know what they're doing with this product. However, from where I talk, I talk from a medical field, it needs to be de de decriminalized and then regulated and then controlled in the way there's guidance to how therapists need to approach this product and how to utilize this product in clinical care. Otherwise, no, it doesn't mean because now you're a psychiatrist and now the product is decriminalized or legalized, yet you know what you're going to do with it yeah. and how you're going to approach it. So training is required. And, and of course, to individuals who have come from challenging childhoods and, and past, you are predisposed to have emotional poor emotional responses, have reactions and, and dissociative experiences, these are the individuals that if they're going to ever go there, definitely need to have control the environment or guides or sitters or whatever you call it as individuals that sit the space and hold the space with you. But so there's not much danger in it, what you're saying, to overdose is going to be really tough. If you're in a safe community then and you're with people and you're doing microdosing, there's unlikely you're going to have a detrimental side effect. You know. Microdosing? No, there should be no side effect. Microdosing has no perceptual experience. Macrodose is where we're talking about control. Macrodosis will give you sensorium experience and distortions of perception and, and time and everything. So no, they you need containment of that individual. They can't be driving a car doing on their own thing. Yeah. They need to be in a controlled environment, not engaging the world but until they come out of the experience. Mm -hmm. So yes, safe. These, the psychedelic Iboga, Ibogain, more the synthetic version of Ibogain is noted to have cardiotoxicity or cardiac risk and can be quite hard on the gut and retching is no associated But beyond that, cardiac risk, which then for individuals that they used it in, in the addictive processes and treatment of addiction, these individuals had substances and weaknesses of their physiology and cardiac complications were common in them. Mm -hmm. Not that it is going to be a risk to all that take it. So they are high risk populations, but generally most of these products, and specifically psilocybin, the cleanest of all psychedelics. So there's a gentleman, Professor David Nutt, out from the UK, and he's got an organization called Drug Wise, if I'm not mistaken, and, and he's created a, a, a scale of all psychoactive substances and their impact to health mm -hmm. and physiology and, and body functions and, and the society in general. Uh, the, 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 the one at the bottom of that, of that list. list is psilocybin, okay. and the one on top of that list alcohol. Sure. And in between, about a third up is your opioid analgesics, about a third down is your ketamine, uh, benzos in between, and cat crystal met heroin falls below alcohol, by the way, just to put alcohol into perspective to the damage it does to our brain and body. Sure. There's wow. nothing that equates to alcohol as a drug that is destructive. Yet, look at how legal it is. Yeah. And it causes most of the complications we deal with in motor vehicle accidents, physiological complications of inflammation, body dis alcohol, liver disease, brain dysfunction, the weakness of muscles, uh, impact to your microbiome, in, uh, inflammatory activation, and you name it. Why okay. are we still doing it? Yeah. yeah. So, so no. So these are absolutely safe products. However, they come with certain risks to emotionally charged people, and that's what you want to regulate against and control against, and appropriate usage, because let's be fair, when someone's under a psychedelic, they're vulnerable, and then the type of client or th therapist over them can be unscrupulous, so they need regulation of that, the ethics and models of how you manage that spaces. There must be two therapists or control groups that you're not controlling one person over one, and things can go wrong in such spaces. Yes. So there's a lot of ethics still to be discussed in the space, and, and of course, the, the, as much as the, the synthetic, the natural product works, they tend to come with fullness in the tummy, so there's synthetic, not synthetic, but natural, the extract of the natural product out of the mushroom, 
getting the purified version of it would make it easier to dose to get more depth around and take away some of the initial side effects of settling into the experience so that needs to be coming around there's a lot of biotech firms out there working on it some of them have already created this uh, extracted it from the mushroom other got synthetic versions of this so there's a lot of work going on there there's a trial in South Africa the trial of the mushroom that was meant to come forward during the 2020 but COVID came and knocked off a lot of trials and that's relating to uh, energy halo shaman a shaman out from the Cape, who was arrested when one of her clientele left the premises and the police picked up. And so that, that trial is on, on hold while the constitution is challenged and that's still come, coming forward. Okay. So there's work going on there. There's work going on at the University of Pretoria where they're doing non-clinical trials, but there's discussions about setting up a research center and doing first human trials within South Africa. And a lot of us are holding breaths to that. There are a lot of organizations going on behind the scenes, expanding within the legal framework, ketamine clinics of South Africa and others are going on out there. So there's work going on in the space. And I, I know there are other people who are trying to take on individual legal challenges, but I can't give you a specific so any. Sure. But I do believe within the next year to year and a half, we should see change, whether it's initially just purely a decriminalization process, which is all we really need initially. Mm. Decriminalize it so those who know what they're doing can step forward and start creating more yeah. work out there with data that comes to support the others who need to learn about it. Okay, so microdosing, <coughs> pretty safe, be in a safe environment, mm. make sure that people around you really hardly going to cause any side effects. Mm. Macrodosing, you've got to be careful, you've got to know who you're going to, probably under medical supervision. Of course. You know, if someone's listening out there, I know that either going to go for macrodosing, psilocybin overseas, or they could do one of your retreats. Maybe tell us quickly as we come to the end of the show, what your retreats are, you know, how people can get involved. I know that you said it's very, very popular and you're seeing some significant change. Because at the end of the day, we want lives transformed. We want people set free. We want people to live out the lives that they're called out to be within the communities that they love and want to be celebrated and, and feel safe in. That's what we want. We, we don't want people enslaved to finances, to pharmaceuticals, to anything. They, they, when you're enslaved to something and you desperately need that, there's almost shackles on you. And I think just empowering people to actually be free is, is you know, just part of just the human, you know, humanitarian way we should treat one another. So tell us a little bit more what, how people, they've heard this now, now they're excited. Now uh, people are going to start calling, what should they do, where should they go? So, so myself and a couple of psychologists sat down around the table and decided that we, we like where this is going and we needed to set up something that's going to prepare us for where the, where the treatment yeah. model is changing. So we've, we've set up an organization called Equanimity, and myself and two clinical psychologists, uh, Anthony Townsend, Bradley Kallenbach. And with this process, we're incorporating the legal psychedelics available to us in South Africa. We use ketamine to loosen people's medication, to, to wean them off medications, prepare them psychologically with our preparation work. And then we take them to retreat and expose them to ibogaine in a controlled environment, preparing them, and, and that is the psychedelic that is legal in South Africa, and we utilize that to bring transformative change. At the same time, my group is working to, to do our initial, uh, our, our, our international retreat, first international retreat out in Jamaica, where we would be happy to work with psilocybin, where it's legal to work with psilocybin in Jamaica. So we're making arrangements, and we've got uh, arranged with the Jamaican authorities that we uh, come there in J J December this year, that we can legally run a psilocybin retreat there to get our, gun our experience to come back and express our, our book here to South Africa. Yes. We need to bring the information back home. So there is work that we're doing out there, but currently we're working primarily ketamine in prep phase with the psychotherapy preparation and using ibogaine in the retreat model that we do. And it's it's been profoundly successful. You can go and look at our reviews on our website, equanimityretreat.com, and you'll understand more about the three of us that are running this process and learn more into our, our colleagues internationally that are supporting us to bring us abroad as well because they're fascinated by the work we're doing. But yeah, Perfect. this is where we're going with this. And Brilliant. you're right, there's massive changes. That's why I'm comfortable to talk about it because I've seen firsthand the differences over being a psychiatrist 15 plus years now. I see that I can make a change with feel good about myself that it's enduring I mean so that I can feel good about myself about that change. Brilliant, brilliant. And where can people get hold of you personally? 
oh, I've got my website out there and my cell phone number is on my website so it's easy to get hold of me. You can drop me a WhatsApp and I'll get back to you and I have a free zone to have a quick chat. But of course, don't have a long expectation of a chat. Yeah. And I'm quite busy. Otherwise, yeah, you can make an appointment with me. Come see me. I'm out in four ways above the Cure Day Hospital in four ways. I'm on Southside Boulevard. Uh, or you can see on my website, you can reach out to us there. You can find equanimityretreat.com, reach out to my group there. And yeah, any right. other way. I'm, I'm available to share information and knowledge and guide individuals on a better pathway. Brilliant. Better Dr. journey. Naeem, you little health legend, I declare favor and blessing over you that you live out your calling and purpose. I'm so excited. I'm inspired by you to be. Your courage has been incredible. I think there's going to be a major change in mental ill health. We need it. Mental ill health is exponentially growing. It's starting younger and younger and younger. I'm seeing kids, you seeing kids, and it's just growing from all facets of life. People aren't coping. They don't have a reserve. So well done to you, and uh, look forward to building our relationship and collaboration that we've got, because I think if we can bring people more through this process, we're going to just bring freedom to them and health and healing and all the things that they deserve in their lives. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for that. You're right. Uh, we can only but help people and then we grow ourselves in the community structure what we certainly be here for everyone. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you again. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Made to Thrive show. New episodes are released weekly and are published exclusively on the Made to Thrive podcast link. If you're interested in receiving more thriving insights as well as receiving other exclusive member benefits, visit madetothrive.co.za forward slash subscribe. This podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they have and they should seek the assistance of healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thank you.